Good morning, everyone. Hope you're doing well today, and uh, welcome. For those of you who are first-time guests, uh, or I don't know, my name's Todd. I'm so glad that you're here. If you haven't noticed outside, um, if you haven't walked outside and noticed this, it's summer, isn't it? It is summer. The heat, the humidity, the whole kit and caboodle. And one of the things that I love about summer is baseball. I love baseball. I grew up in Atlanta, so I'm an Atlanta Braves fan. And so um, how many of you like baseball? I heard one person shout out. Uh, how many of you like baseball? Okay. On the count of three, I'm going to have you shout out as loud as you can your favorite team. Okay. So we're going to have some fun with this, and I'm going to do it too. Okay. So ready? On three. Ready? One, two, three. Atlanta Braves. All right. I had the microphone, so the Braves win. Okay. So anyway, I'm just kidding. Uh, I, I love baseball. I grew up um, really, you know, going to Lake Lanier in the Atlanta area, and me and my buddies would um, just listen to the Braves game all the time. And even, um, you know, older now, um, I love listening to the Braves in the summer. I love listening to baseball. For some reason, the radio and baseball just go together for me, and, and I absolutely love uh, uh, baseball in the middle of the summer. And uh, one of the things that I, I, I really love, and a lot of you do too, is the stories of, of guys who make it from the minors to the majors. Love those stories, don't you? A guy by the name of Shea Simmons. He was born in 1990 in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. He attended the Southeast Missouri State University where he played baseball. Well, until a week ago this past Friday, uh, Shea had been on a, uh, for two years on a minor league system, uh, the Atlanta Braves organization. He was drafted in 2012, and he had been playing for the AAA Mississippi Braves, one of Atlanta's farm teams. As some of you know about baseball, each team has a farm system where they have guys that begin in the minors so that they can learn the game and they can kind of uh, work on, on their game and work on their skills and learn what it's like to live on the road. Well, Shay Simmons was a part of the uh, Mississippi Braves there in Jackson, Mississippi. Well, a week ago last Friday, the Mississippi Braves had just completed a series sweep. Now, for those of you who don't know baseball, a series is several games in a row where two, two teams play each other, and a sweep is when that team, when your, uh, your team wins all the games. And so Shea Simmons, a part of the Mississippi Braves, they had just completed a sweep of their opponent. And it was that evening, that Friday evening, that the manager gathered his team in the clubhouse when the game was over, and he just said, guys, y'all have done a great job. I love the way you're playing. Congratulations. There's a lot of great things going on on our team. And I just want to let you know I'm really pleased with the way you're playing. And then the manager of the Mississippi Braves looked at Shea Simmons, and he said, and I've got some even better news Shay, tomorrow you are being called up to the major leagues. And tomorrow you're going to be a part of the major league Atlanta Braves. And in an interview a few days later, Shay said that at first he thought his manager was completely kidding. He thought that maybe the team had gathered together and they were playing a practical joke on him. This middle relief pitcher was completely stunned by this and really thought that it was false information. And so he didn't believe him. He thought, no, that's just kidding. They're just pulling my leg. Until a representative for the Atlanta Braves showed up and said, here's your tickets. You are on a plane tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. And sure enough, this news was true. 
And so Shea Simmons, this very young minor league middle relief pitcher, got on a plane the very next morning from Jackson, Mississippi at 6 a.m., went through Atlanta, got on another plane, and flew to Miami where the Atlanta Braves were in a series against the Miami Marlins. The game started at 4.30, and Shea Simmons barely made it to the ballpark on time for the game to start. And so there is this kid, this young guy, an obscure character from an, from an obscure place, obscure place, all of a sudden thrust into the pressure situation of a major league game. Think about it for a moment. I mean, literally one day, you're a minor league ball player playing for a small town team with a small town crowd with the small town feel, and the very next day, you're a major league baseball player. Well, it doesn't often happen that a player gets called up and gets put into the very next game, but the story of Shea Simmons is vastly different. Because the Atlanta Braves had just recently been swept by the Boston Red Sox. My family was at one of those games in Atlanta. Unfortunately, if you're a Boston Red Sox fan, please don't shout out right now. But they had been swept by the Boston Red Sox, and uh, they needed some better middle relievers. And so they called up this guy to see if he could handle the pressure situation. And that day, in that game, the Atlanta Braves found themselves ahead by one run in the bottom of the eighth inning. They were up by one run, heading into the bottom of the eighth inning, and the pitcher that was up before Shea Simmons was falling apart. There were two men on with two outs. And Freddie Gonzalez, the manager of the Atlanta Braves, calls the bullpen and gets Shea Simmons out of the bullpen. There he is on the mound in a major league ballpark, and he's in a high-pressure situation. And Shea Simmons threw three balls and struck the last batter out. And the Atlanta Braves went on to win 9-5. to five. He didn't get the save, but he got a hold. And so Shea Simmons, this young player, all of a sudden comes from complete obscurity and goes into the major leagues. You know, it's interesting, as I thought about that story, and as we, you all have heard stories and you've seen movies about stories like that, that these guys come from very obscure places. They come from small colleges, small high schools, but something happens to them, and they get a talent, and all of a sudden they're used to do amazing things and have a huge impact in the major leagues. And I believe this guy, Shea Simmons, will be a household name one day. He'll be a guy like uh, Greg Kimbrell, Greg Kimbrell, and he'll be a guy that we all uh, will know, those of us who follow baseball. One day, he's a minor league player with no experience, and the very next day, he's in the major Leagues from the minors to the majors in a matter of a moment. We're going to be studying throughout this summer at different points in time throughout this summer an area of the Bible that's really obscure, just like Shea Simmons was. We're going to be studying different men, five different men who were obscure in where they came from. They weren't very popular, they're not household names today, and they weren't back then. But these men were used by God to bring a message from God that would change the course of human history. And so as we dive in today to this brand new series called Life in the Minors, as we take a look at different men that were minor prophets in the Old Testament, my prayer and my hope 
And the thing that I'm praying for you and for me is that God would open up our eyes in 2014 to these men and the books that they wrote in the Old Testament and that God would pierce our heart, the Spirit of God would pierce our heart, and that we would be able to learn something from these ancient writers. There was a survey done of the Bible uh, recently, and the survey concluded um, that of the 10 most uh, unread books of the Bible, that five of the most unread books in all of Scripture, five of those were minor prophets. So we're going to be taking a look at an area of the Bible that really not a lot is said about, not a lot is taught about, but just because these men were obscure, just because their books are not studied in detail, doesn't mean that they can't have a huge impact on us in our lives in 2014. They had a huge impact back then, and I believe that they can have a huge impact on us. Now, today is an overview message. Today, we're going to be laying some foundational elements before we move into the five books that we're going to study from the Minor Prophets. We're going to cover five of them throughout the summer, and I want to just use today just to lay some foundational things. And so for some of you, um, today is really going to be a way of review. For some of you, what you're going to hear today is maybe old hat. It's stuff that you know, that that you've heard before, and I hope that it'll kind of reinforce some of the things that you knew. But for some of you, this is very new information. And I don't want to give you this information. Here's my caution to you today. I don't want to give you the information that I'm going to give you just for the purpose of you having a lot of knowledge that will do absolutely no good in your life. My prayer today is, is that this information can be used as a foundation for the future study that we do throughout the summer. But, but today's information, I believe itself, can be used to change your heart and my heart. Let's take a look at these minor prophets as we're going to take a look at them today. I want to first give you the context of where they're found in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is broken up into five different sections. The Old Testament is broken up into five different sections. The first section are the books that Moses wrote. Some of you know that. You know that it's called the Pentateuch, pent meaning five, the Pentateuch. It was the five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, so on and so forth. That's what is called the law. The next group of books, as you look in your Bible or look on your version or your tablet or a smartphone, you'll find the history books, books like Samuel and other books that will help us understand the Jewish history and what God was doing during that time, kings and chronicles. Then we have poetry and wisdom, five books of poetry and wisdom, books like Psalm. We just read a wonderful passage from Psalm that relates to what we're going to be talking about today, Psalms and Proverbs and those books of poetry and wisdom. And then we come to the next section of books in the Old Testament. It's the five major prophets, the five major prophets. We'll talk about that in a moment. And then the last 12 books of the Old Testament are the minor prophets, and that's where we're going to land at different points throughout this summer. We're going to be studying five of these 12 books and the men who wrote them. Now, why in the world did the world need prophets? Why in the world did God's people back then, when it was written, need prophets? And why do we today need to hear from these men, these 12 men? We're going to take a look at five of them. Well, there was a time when God's people, the Hebrew people or the Jewish people, they cried out to God and they begged him for a representative. They wanted someone who would speak 
on his behalf. And we'll explain that a little more in detail in a moment. And so these prophets came along during a time, a crucial time in Jewish history, and it was a time of turmoil. It was a time of uh, a lack of unification. It was a time when this group of people that were God's people, the Jewish people, had a ton of enemies. They had a ton of things that would be pulling them away from God. They wanted things and they desired things that God knew wouldn't lead them down the right path. And so these men were used as really God's mouthpiece to communicate to his people and in some cases to communicate to other groups of people what God wanted to communicate during that particular period of time. And so God told the nation of Israel that he would give them prophets. And we're going to be taking a look at the passage of Scripture today where God tells the nation of Israel and the Jewish people that he would give them prophets to communicate what he wanted to communicate. It wasn't until five centuries later that these prophets began doing what God wanted them to do. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Deuteronomy, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. You can turn to the fifth book of the Bible in the Old Testament, or you can get it on your tablet or uh, your iPhone or, or smartphone, and we're going to be in Deuteronomy 18. But before we dive into that passage of Scripture, I need to give you some context of what's going on. Because as important as the message from Deuteronomy 18 is, is the context of what God was doing. And we have to understand it, so I want to give you context. You see, the Jewish people, 400 plus years earlier, had left their land. They had left their land and they had traveled to Egypt. And they left their land because there was a drought in their land. And they needed to go to Egypt where they knew that they could live in an area that would be comfortable. And so Jacob, one of the patriarchs of the Jewish people, led he and his family and his sons into Egypt. And one of his sons, who was captured and taken uh, prisoner there, uh, was became influential in the Egyptian government and in the Egyptian um, hierarchy of important people, people that had a say-so. And so he, Joseph, made sure that the, these Israelites, the people from Abraham and Isaac and his father Jacob, would be taken care of. And so they settled in a place of Egypt that was really fertile, where they could farm and they could uh, raise crops and that they could sustain themselves, this place called Goshen. And so they settled there. They, they came, and it was the whole nation of Israel at the time, and they numbered about 75 to 100 people at the time. And they came into Egypt. I want you to capture this. They moved into Egypt thinking that this would be their salvation. They thought by moving into Egypt, they could sustain themselves, they could feed themselves, they could take care of themselves while this terrible drought was going on in their homeland. What they didn't know was that this group of people called the Egyptians were terribly evil, and they overtook the Jewish people, and they turned them into slaves. And so for 400 plus years, this small group of 75 to 100 people became captive under a very harsh Egyptian rule. And God did amazing things, even though they were slaves of the Egyptians over the course of this 400-plus years, because at the end of it, 75 Jewish people had turned into two and a half million people. And they were oppressed, and they were slaves, and they were treated so 
incredibly poorly by the Egyptians. And they began to cry out to God, please let us go. And there was a man by the name of Moses, and Moses kind of grew up there, and he became the one that would lead God's people, this two and a half million people. They came in 75, they left Egypt, they came out of captivity, two and a half million people. And you know the story, most of you know the story, how God led them across the Red Sea on dry land, away from their captors, away from the Egyptians. And God did amazing things. But for the next 40 years, God led them around in the wilderness. Some of you who are vacationing here on Hilton Head or some of you who vacation in places you don't know about, sometimes you drive to a new place that you don't know and you just keep driving around and there's no signs on this island and there's no lights in this island, so you keep driving and driving and driving. The Jewish people wandered and wandered and wandered for 40 years. And finally, finally, they came to the place that God had promised them years earlier. They came to the place where their forefathers had left. They came to that homeland, that promised land, that place that God had told them that he would eventually lead them back to. And two and a half million people, the whole nation of the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, were camped out on the banks of a river called the Jordan River. And all they had to do was cross over that river, build a bridge, dam it up somehow, or allow God to do what he did with the Red Sea and just cross the Jordan River to enter the land of their forefathers. Can you imagine if you were one of those Jewish people during that time? I mean, you, your forefathers have been held in captivity for four-plus centuries, and you've wandered in the desert for 40 years, and you literally can see on the other side of the Jordan River the place that God has for you. I don't know about you, but I'd be like, God, let's go. It's time. It's time to go. I don't care what's over there. We've come all this way, and I want to get over there. But here's the thing. God knew something about the Jewish people that even they didn't know. God knew that they needed to be prepared for their victory. He knew that they needed to be prepared for the goal that they would eventually have. He knew that they needed to be prepared to go across the Jordan River and enter this land because what God knew that the Hebrew Jewish people didn't know is that while they were gone, a group of people had invaded the promised land, Canaanites. And these were horrible, terrible people who had invaded their land. This would be like you leaving for vacation and you're gone for two weeks and when you come back, your neighbor has taken over your house. Like your neighbor, you know, the Joneses, they decided that their stuff wasn't good enough, so they moved into your house, except that the Joneses are horribly evil people. That's what was happening, and God knew something that they didn't know. And here is the message that God gave the whole nation of Israel, the Jewish people, through Moses. We're going to take a look at verses 9 through 22 of uh, Deuteronomy 18 this morning. Let's take a look. He said this, when you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. Now let's stop right there because there's a word used that we don't often use and it's abominable. And I know if you're in my era, what you're thinking of when you think of that word 
you're thinking of Rudolph, right? I mean, let's face it, it's not Christmas, but you think of Rudolph, the abominable snowman, right? Well, this is a little bit different, I'm just telling you. Okay, so the word abominable is a word that we don't often use, but in the original language, I want you to hear what it means. It means completely horrific and disgusting. It means completely horrific and disgusting. And what God is saying to this group of people called the Jews is he's saying, when you go over into that land, you need to be careful not to follow the disgusting, the disgusting or horrific practices of the nations that have invaded your land. He goes on to describe what the practices were. Look at verses 10 and 11. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or daughters as an offering. Holy cow. Really? That's what these nations are doing? That's what it says. Anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or a charmer, or a medium, or a necromancer, or one who inquires of the dead. Now, let's pause for a moment. I'm not going to go into the details of each one of those, but here's what God is saying to the nation of Israel. He's saying this. The people that have invaded your land, the people who currently occupy the land that you are getting ready to go into, are worshiping something other than me. And they're worshiping practices that are evil. They're, they're uh, worshiping gods, small g, that are evil. They're worshiping pagan gods. And because they're worshiping pagan gods and because they're involved with things that are evil, their lives and the lives of even those they love are being completely destroyed. Completely destroyed. And he says, none of you, my chosen people, shall be found practicing these practices. Take a look at verse 12. For whoever does these things is an abomination, there's that word again, to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. There's the hope, isn't it? There's the hope. Like if I'm there and I'm part of the Hebrew people and, and I'm, I'm kind of going, well, God, this is kind of, we've traveled these 40 years. We've been in captivity for 400 plus years. You're kind of being Debbie Downer here, God. Like, we want to get into the land. Let's go. And God says, no, it's not time. You need to be warned that these things will happen. Verse 13, this is where things change. And God begins to give the Jewish people instruction. Verse 13, you shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations which you are about to dispossess, listen to fortune tellers, and to diviners, but as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. Another warning, but couched in that warning is, is, an, is an important principle that God is calling the Hebrew people, he's calling the Jewish people to practice that is different from that which they are about ready to see. He is calling them to live a life that is different from that of those people who are in the promised land. Let's keep going. Verse 15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet. There's the first time in scripture that that word is used. Like me, talking about Moses, because he was the first prophet from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. God is saying to the Jewish people, I realize that I'm calling you to a different life. 
but I'm also going to give you someone who can explain what that different life looks like. Verse 16, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb, that's the same place that we know of today as Mount Sinai where Moses received the law from God. We know that from the Ten Commandments in Charlton Heston, right? Okay, so uh, that your Lord your God um, uh, on Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said the nation of Israel said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore lest I die. You see, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, the whole nation said, we've heard the voice of God. We've heard him speak and we were terrified of that. We don't want to hear that ever again. God is honoring what they want. Look at verse 17. And the Lord said to me, this is Moses speaking, they're right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you among their brothers, and I will put my words, God's words, into his mouth. And he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever does not listen to my words, he shall speak in my name. I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, small g, that same prophet shall die. Pretty clear what goes on there. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need, you need not be afraid. Of him, And essentially what God is saying here is he says, I will raise up men who will speak on my behalf for you. But you have to listen to the words that they say because you need to be protected. You need to be warned. You need to understand what my standard of living is. And so during the rest of this series, Life in the Miners, we'll be taking a look at five of these specific words. But I want you to have some application today. I want you to, to take what we've read today and to be able to apply something. I mean, let's face it, this is Deuteronomy. This is probably not your next devotional reading, those of you who have uh, daily devotions. This is not something that maybe you've heard in church before. But it's an important passage in the history of God and what he was doing with mankind. Because, because, because he is calling his people to something different. And that's the first lesson I want you to learn is that God wants us, his people, to live differently. You see, we've just spent six weeks talking about God's grace with second chances, and everything we talked about is absolutely true. But God also wants his people, he wanted the Jewish people, to live a life that's different from the norm. And he knew that they would be lured into these pleasant practices of the Canaanites if they went over there. And sure enough, as the nation of Israel moves on in their history, there are times when they ebb and flow in their faithfulness to God. Listen, listen, I want you to hear this this morning. It doesn't matter where you are in your walk with God. It doesn't matter if you are a brand new Christian or maybe you're just here today and you really have never given your life to Christ. And it doesn't matter if you've been a Christ follower for decades. In the last service, I almost said centuries, and I realize that probably wouldn't happen. It probably wouldn't apply. If you have been a Christ follower for decades, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you see yourself. The fact is, is that if you choose 
to be a God follower, he is going to call you to live a life that's different than the normal. He's going to call you to live in a way that is glorifying and honoring to him, just like he was calling the Jewish people to do that. And so he warns them to live a life that's different. We as his people, we as his people, in an effort to be faithful to him, we need to find out what his word says. And we need to listen to what his word says. And we need to behave like his word says. Because when we do that, we give glory and honor and praise to him. The second thing that I want you to learn is that God knows what we don't know. You see, this group of people called the Jews, the Hebrew people that were there right on the Jordan River, about ready to enter the land that God had promised them, they were probably incredibly anxious. I can't imagine that they weren't. But God knew what they didn't know. And God knew that the evil and the sin that they would be exposed to once they got there and saw these evil people, the Canaanites, when, they, when God knew what they didn't know, and that is as they would be drawn to be a part of these practices. Wow, sin does that, doesn't it? Sin draws us in. And the next thing we know, we wake up and we are covered in sin. Our pastor in Atlanta used to say this. He, said, he would say, sin takes you further than you ever wanted to go. It causes you to stay longer than you ever wanted to stay. And it costs you so much more than you ever wanted to pay. And the thing that I found out about evil and sin is that it happens over time, slowly. And we wake up one day, and our lives are consumed by it. And we've harmed our lives, and we've harmed the lives of others. I grew up in Atlanta. How many of you know what kudzu is? You know what kudzu is? Kudzu is a creeping vine that was brought into the United States from a different place. And we had no idea that this vine could take over during the summer, especially in the Atlanta and in, in the South. And during the summer in Atlanta, in my growing up, we used to watch how this kudzu would grow several inches each day. But if you fast forward that, it doesn't seem like it's growing much, but if you begin in May and fast forward to August, trees are taken over by kudzu. Homes are taken over by this vine. Walls on the interstate are completely consumed. And that's what evil does. And that's what sin does. And God is telling the nation of Israel, and he's telling us that we need to be warned. We need to, to, to be guided and protected because we don't see it coming, do we? We don't even see it coming. It sneaks up on us, and it takes over. And so God used obscure men from obscure places, men that we may not quite understand, to communicate to his people then and to communicate to us now what we are supposed to do and how we're supposed to live. What was a prophet in the Old Testament? Just to hit some of these notes, first of all, it was a man appointed by God himself to be his messenger. It was a man appointed by God himself to be his messenger. He was divinely chosen by God, not elected by the people or appointed by the king. He was divinely chosen by God. A prophet, thirdly, did not have a title, and he was not an official of the state. That's who a prophet was. And you knew a prophet of God was true if what they said was 100% true. If there was any falsehood in their message... If it disagreed with the Spirit of God, if it disagreed with what he said, or if it didn't come to pass, 
then you knew that was a false prophet and that wasn't of God. What's a prophet's role? First of all, it's to preach the word of God. He was to teach the law to the people. He was to teach the word of God to the people. Secondly, he was a predictor. He would announce coming judgment and the deliverance that God would bring, which is what God did with the nation of Israel, which is what he does with us. He announces judgment, but then offers deliverance. And thirdly, the prophet was a watchman who provided spiritual warning and protection for God's people. And I want to give you this, and I want to leave with this today. I want you to leave with this. That all the prophets, major and minor, had themes. And each one of them had a different theme. And all of them pointed to the Messiah, to who Jesus was. And I'll talk about that in a moment. But they all had a theme. And the bottom line of the whole theme of the minor prophets is that there would be a challenge for an unfaithful person to become faithful again three things about the common themes among all the minor prophets. An unfaithful person should repent from their sin. An unfaithful person should repent from their sin. God used these obscure men to communicate an important message to his people then and now, and that is as an unfaithful person should repent from their sin. Secondly, an unfaithful person should return to God. You know, here's the great news of, of God's grace and his love is that when we are far from him, he is waiting with open arms to receive us back. Isn't that great news? I mean, that's incredible news. That's the grace that he, we talked about over the past few weeks. And lastly, one of the messages, one of the themes of the minor prophets is that an unfaithful person should remember God's promise of a deliverer. That we should remember God's promise of a deliverer. You see, here's the story of God and man. The story of God and man is, is that as much as we try to do good on our own, there are going to be areas that we fail. There are going to be areas that we fall. And so our bottom line this morning is that minor prophets were used by God to challenge people's faithfulness to God. They were used by God to challenge people's faithfulness to God. And the question that I want to leave with you today, and the question that I want you to ponder over these next few weeks in your time with God, in your time in here, is in what areas of my life do I struggle to remain faithful to God? Because let's face it, church, we all do, don't we? Regardless of where we are in our spiritual journey, there are areas in our life that we struggle to remain faithful faithful to him. You know, there are a lot of preachers and teachers this in our day and age that will preach a message that humanity is good enough to, to be good enough to get to God. That humanity, if you just dig deep enough and try hard enough to be good, that God will accept you. The message of the prophets is, is that we can't possibly do that, that we should try to remain faithful to him, but that God gives us a deliverer. And that that deliverer is the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And that's where we can have our faith in him. You know, God has done so much for us. The prophets highlight the fact of what he's done. And the reason that we worship and the reason that we sing when we come together on Sunday mornings is not to hear ourselves sing. And it's not for you to impress the person you're sitting next to with your great voice, which probably isn't going to happen, I'm sorry to tell you. But it's to give worship to God, and it's to remind us of what our lives should look like. And so over the next few minutes, our band's going to come up here, and we are going to sing a song of God's holiness. 
And I just want to just want to challenge you to, to stay where you are over these next few moments. Lunch can wait. Um, you know, things that you're looking forward to this afternoon can wait. And what I want you to do is I want you to ask that question. As you're worshiping God, I want you to ask the question, what areas of my life or what area of my life do I need to inspect? Do I need to have the Spirit of God inspect where I am unfaithful to Him? Because we all have them. We all have them. And so what area of your life I want you to be thinking about that. And I want you to ask the Spirit of God to reveal to you the area that you need to work on. And over the course of the summer, as we investigate these five of the 12 minor prophets, you're going to hear certain themes that I believe the Spirit of God will connect you to. Where you can repent, you can give it up and give it to Him, and you can make a step away from unfaithfulness and towards faithfulness to God. You know, in light of who we are, we're all sinners, the Bible says. In light of what we've done, yet in light of what God has done by sending the Messiah, Jesus, we deserve to give him our fullest praise. Allow these next few moments of worship to be an area that you can model in your life. Allow it to be a time where you can practice giving God praise, not just with your voice, but with 